Well, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You're in your living room, you're somewhere, maybe out of work, you're talking about a particular idea, topic, and you go to your phone and you start to go online or search and you realize something comes up about the very topic you raised. And you're kind of feeling like, oh my goodness, Big Brother is watching me. Like, who's listening to my words? How does my phone know what I'm thinking or talking about? Anybody been in that place before? Yes, we're all just creeped out and freaked out. And it's very interesting in case you, you don't know. I mean, we know this from all sorts of sites. You're always clicking something saying you agree. It has privacy policies and all sorts of things. But we know at the end of the day that organizations, that the people that see us, they take in all of our information and then they manipulate. They basically tailor things to us so that we can be moved in a direction. Now, no, no misunderstanding. This is so that they can get us to buy more, to pay attention more. And it's not typically having our best interests at heart. True? But along the way, we also learn lots of things about ourselves and about each other. So in case you don't know this, one of the uh, areas, for example, that Amazon monitors and sees is anyone who buys an ebook, it not only pays attention to what you buy, but it basically tabulates what everybody does to highlight anything in that book. It highlights and lets you know what are the most highlighted. It learns lots of information, not just about you or me, about all of us. Now, having said that, I don't know if you realize this, but lots of people buy an e-version of the Bible online through Amazon, through other places. What you may not know is there is a verse that comes up top in highlighting in all of the Bible from all of the people that get it, meaning it's the most prominent and most commonly highlighted verse. I just want you to think about that for a minute and wonder, what would the verse be? And if you've not been around church and you don't know verses of the Bible, don't worry, because even those of us who do probably go, I don't know what that would be. And I could cite a verse and be like, well, I'm supposed to know that, but I don't. I'm not saying you even do. And, and you might even try and come up with them. Well, you know, when I was younger, they always had this guy in the football games that would hold up John 3.16. Maybe it's John 3.16. I don't even know. What does that say? Oh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It's this beautiful centering verse. Maybe you'd go, oh, Psalm 23. Whether you're in any kind of faith, lots of people know Psalm 23. Maybe that's the one. And guess what? It's neither of those. So I want to tell you which one it is. It's kind of interesting to me. What is the most commonly highlighted verse? It's actually two verses together. It's in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. And it says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and petition and all things, bring them to God, basically, and let him know what you're worried about. And this is the peace of God that overcomes, that transcends, that kind of moves beyond all of even our rational understanding will guard your hearts and minds. So what that tells us is for all those people that have bought Bibles online and highlighted, the most common piece of what we collectively ask for is freedom from anxiety and the presence of peace. You and I want peace. More than anything, we want peace. I wonder if I asked what you'd say peace even is. What comes to mind when you think of peace? I I don't know what your own version of it is. Maybe peace is simply the absence of any strife. Maybe peace is having no worries and comfort. Maybe peace is sitting on the beach with a nice cool drink and a nice warm lake. It's the lake because it's not the ocean because we don't want sharks, right? That'd be a little stress producing. And it's a clean lake, so it's probably not right by us because it's a little dirty. You're like, it'd be cleaner than that, but... Maybe that's your picture of it. Maybe it's another picture. Maybe peace is the people around you actually understanding what you do and agreeing with everything you think. 
There's a realistic version of peace, isn't it? Maybe peace is finally getting to that benchmark that you've been shooting for, and that's enough. Maybe peace for you as students is walking through the hallway and not thinking every laugh and every comment is towards me, or every online post is another affront to me. Maybe peace is actually everyone agreeing with your exact politic, which is a very realistic goal as well. I mean, I don't don't know what it is, but can we agree that we long for peace? Can we agree that's something we want? And crazily and uniquely, the coming of Jesus promises peace. Now, I want to be honest about this. Can we agree that we don't have what we're promised? Can we agree that you and I struggle lots of times to have peace? We struggle in relationships. We struggle in our what we push for and want to have happen. We struggle as Christians, which is crazy. As Christians, you and I are supposed to believe that Jesus died for us, and it's called grace. It means you and I can't do anything. God has done for us, so we're at peace with God because of what he's done. But most Christians, many of us, think, well, yeah, he did that, but I need to get better at it and work more at it. And probably, because I've had this conversation lots of times, when you ask someone, how's it going with the Lord? They'll be, well, it could be better well, I should be doing more. Well, it's not quite enough. And I find this over and over again that we don't even believe the peace of what God has for us. And so today we're going to explore a prophecy, this beautiful part of the Bible that's written centuries before Jesus comes that tells about him. That's what Thad started with us last week and we found the hope of people praying for Messiah to come for centuries and when he came it was a hope fulfilled, a promise fulfilled. Now today we're going to look at peace and what God might want to do in our lives to bring it. And this is what I want to say to you just going into this because this is my prayer for us today and it's simply this that it won't be information, it won't be persuasion, it'll be revelation. That your understanding cognitively would move to your experience and hearts. In other words, that God might do something to, for, in, and through you as we open scriptures. And by the way, you realize I can't do any of that, right? You're like, yeah, dude, we know. Don't need to tell us that. But I'm banking that God will. And I'm trusting that God will. And I'm believing that God will. So with that in mind, we're going to go to this part of this letter. It's, it's called, they're called prophets, and it means that they're people that were there on, kind of on God's behalf to listen to God and voice it to the people of God, to be both told what's coming and how to live and how to look for and love differently. That's simply what the prophets did. And so with this, we're going to look at, uh, specifically at this part of the excerpt from Isaiah. He says these words, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now, in case you weren't here last week or aren't familiar, this idea of the child coming, it tells us in another part of Isaiah that the virgin will be with child. In other words, it's a supernatural movement of God to bring about who's called a Messiah, an anointed one that will bring healing and life and newness to Israel and to the world. What he's saying here is a little one will come, a little vulnerable one, a little one that no one can basically do for themselves, and they will actually reign over everything. They'll bring their government. Now, I want to be clear about government because we hear it today, and we have our own minds of what that means, and it isn't this. So government in the Hebrew literally means to have dominion. In fact, what you really could translate it to is kingdom. In a sense, what it's saying is when this one comes, 
This king, who that's what it's saying will be, will be a new kind of king with a new kind of kingdom. I want to be really clear. It's not going to play out in any earthly setting. It's a different kind and a different way of kingdom. And I just don't want us to get confused as we go through it. You'll see it as it unfolds. But I don't want to miss this because there's a message for us already in this, which is Jesus came to bring peace, but not the way we think he should. In fact, maybe just take for a minute and go, what are all the ways you think that God could bring peace in your life? And think of all the ways you want it to come about. Got them? It's none of those. Because if you're anything like me, don't you think in terms of winning and losing and ways to get to things and whether I think it through? I, I have it this way. I either think it and I keep, if, I think, if I keep thinking about it, it'll change. I, it's called rumination. You just keep thinking. Then there's those of us who try to do enough to make it change. If I force it and I push it and I make it happen, that'll change. It'll get better. Or if I just feel differently about it, it'll get better. Or we just go, it's not going to get better. I'm just going to hide. Those are the ways we typically go about seeing peace come. And what Isaiah is saying is there will become a king that will be a vulnerable little child and bring a new kind of kingdom. By the way, when you, those of you who've read the New Testament, the life and death, resurrection of Jesus in the church, you hear the word kingdom over and over again. It comes from this idea of government. But by the time Jesus walks the earth, Israel has understood, oh, it's a kingdom. It's a different way of understanding. You don't see those words in the Old Testament. But what you see is it develops through what's called the oral tradition by the time Jesus walks. So I just want you to have that as a background. If you don't care, don't worry about it. If you care, enjoy. Now it's going to describe this. This is how he'll be called. And, and always with the Jewish culture, when you give a name, you're giving an identity. Who is this person? What are they about? I want to be really clear. We're going to hear four names, four different ways, and they build on each other. And the final name is like an umbrella over all of them to give the ultimate portrayal. So we begin with the first one. You'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, Isaiah, we're not going to have to go through all of it, but in different parts of Isaiah, when he's prophesying, he's over and over telling about this human wisdom where people get counsel, and it seems to make sense, but it's not from God. And guess what? It's incomplete, and it's selfish, and it doesn't get us where we need to go. So he's comparing this new king with a new kind of counsel that's different than anything they've had before. In other words, there's a difference between the counsel of God and the counsel of others. So, so this is an affront, in case you don't know, that your best wisdom and your best understanding is not even measuring to the weakness of God's amazing counsel. That's what he's saying. So when he says wonderful counselor, he's describing that when this king comes, he's going to come in a way to be your advocate, your help, the one that guides you into all that you need and want in life. All that he has for you and what he has for the world around us. I was at a, a retreat this weekend with some other pastors, and honestly, we were there as part of our region just to ask the Lord how his spirit might be poured out on us uniquely. And during our time as we were praying, listening, discerning, one of the pastors in our group said, you know, one of the things I really ache right now over is how critical everyone is all the time. He was just talking about the negativity and the critique of the world around us. And can we agree that we are a part of that? Like, I'd like to go, oh, it's those other people. I'm so critical of them for being critical, and then we're critical anyway, and we're, we're just kind of absorbed in it, aren't we? So it was interesting, as he said it, he just said, I'm, I'm so concerned that we've lost 
the kind of encouragement, the way that God wants to be. We view him and we view each other through such a critical lens. What is wrong and what can I point out that's wrong? And by the way, when I point out what's wrong, you're going to want to change it, which in case you don't know, and most of us do it through things where we're not even present, we point out and critique each other all the time, usually in hostile and kind of disrespecting and condescending ways, and then we go, why don't they change? Hmm, that's interesting. The last time someone told me I'm a horrible person, everything's stupid, I think, I don't go, I am so glad you told me. You know, I had never seen it that way before. Thank you for your help. Could you shred me a little more and then I'll move on? It was crazy because when we were sitting in this, I found myself just asking the Lord, what, what, is the, what is the opposite of this? And all I kept hearing was advocate, protector, defender. Do you realize God comes to be our advocate, our protector, and our defender? In other words, when this king comes, he's coming to be our counselor, our advocate, our protector, our defender. God is for you. Did you know that? In all the mess you have in life, he's not just trying to point out, he's pointing going, I want to help and change and move you in a new way. I'm a new kind of king. I love that. I love that picture of who he is. It's one of the uniquenesses of the Hebrew scriptures of the, our Old Testament in the Bible. Kings in the ancient world were described always by their people with amazing reverence and awesomeness. They were all wonderful counselors and advisors. They cared about the people. And it was not true. They just were never allowed to speak to the kings the way they were. One of the crazy parts about our Bible is there are, there's actually a section called Kings, another one called Chronicles that tells the story of Israel. And it's honest about the king's struggles. Ah, this one didn't really follow. This one looked out for themselves. This one didn't follow what the Lord had. And so this is the first time you're hearing a king talked about in an amazing way. Because God's going to come himself and be a king that actually is advocating and for us, not there just to be for himself. Pretty cool already, isn't it? I want you to just take that in. God is actually for you. He's your advocate. He wants to be a wonderful counselor to you. Let me take the second one, mighty God. And, and of the four, for me, this one actually became the most significant. You know, we tend to, to see God and think of him as, or talk about him as he's mightier than anything, which he is. But I want you just to consider for a minute, what do you think the most powerful way and act is? And most of us in our earthly way of living is, oh, if you have the most power, if you have the most resource, you basically push through and your mightiness is shown by your dominance. That's how we live. We're going to dominate and we're going to take over. That's what we think of as might. Yet crazily in Isaiah, mighty God is played out this way, through absorbing the evil around him and overcoming it through sacrifice and suffering. Did you know that's a greater might than dominance and demand? Can we agree today that it is foreign? Can you understand that God actually brings his greatest strength through his greatest sacrifice? He absorbs the evil and the pain in and among us. That's who this God came to be through Messiah. In Isaiah 53, which is another part of this prophecy, it describes the Messiah this way. He was basically grew up as a tender shoot, meaning an unnoticed kind of growth, an unnoticed stems, tree, different form of foliage that grows up in a place that it shouldn't, it's dry. 
Then it continues to describe him. No one even paid attention to him. He didn't have the respect or kind of have anything to draw them. There's nothing charismatic about him. And they actually even despised him and rejected him. And then it goes on to say that this Messiah who comes will be pierced for our transgressions, will suffer the things we're to suffer, and basically by his wounds, you and I will find life and healing. The king that comes is coming not only to be our advocate, he's coming to be the one to absorb the evil and pain that we cause and others cause, and through it, bring new life and peace. Do you know that's more powerful than anything you demand or want or try? You and I. Come on, isn't that hard to accept? Don't we want to say to the Lord, hey, I know you want us to suffer and sacrifice, but I really think it'd be good if I just tell people what to do. I really think it'd be good if people would agree with me in the way this should be. I really think it'd be great if people would just understand that I'm right and they're wrong. I think it'd be really good if they just help me along the way in what I need right now. Mighty God is mighty through absorbing and taking on the evil and enduring it for us. The next one, everlasting father. Kings were regularly referred to as fathers of their kingdom and their people and regularly said, we all have your best interest at heart, but they did not. Kings worked for what best served them, what best brought their legacy, what best made them greater. And so this claim of Isaiah is this Messiah coming as an actual father that will father us through sacrifice and through love for us, not through demand and forcing what he wants but through deep love and affection of saying, I will absorb and suffer on your behalf. Now, we all understand that our own parents and our own roles as parents, we can fail this, but God does not. Jesus came to be the everlasting father, to be the one that would actually look out for our interests, that actually cares what's best for us. It's the crazy part. We often talk about this as if Jesus does these things to make us make us struggle, kind of like he wants it to be bad for us. And what he's doing is giving us the best thing we could have. It's just not what we want. And then it leads us to the culmination, the umbrella of all this. He's the Prince of Peace. We hear these wonderful words, even if you haven't been around church, we hear them because if you've heard anything like the Messiah, this wonderful, wonderful work in our history You hear songs of this. We know at this time of year, people often hear them, this idea of Jesus being the Prince of Peace. But what does that mean? What does peace actually look like? Think back in your own mind. What do you think peace is? What did you think it was growing up? I remember for me, the first thing I thought of was just people walking around going, peace. It was just my sister and older people. I didn't actually do it. I didn't even know what the finger thing meant. I didn't know any of it. Peace. I have no idea what it meant. It just... They dressed with a lot of bell-bottoms, and it was just weird to me. And it's funny, you and I, as, particularly as Westerners, we want definition. What does peace mean? And we tend to define it. Well, peace means this. And here's the wonderful thing about the Hebrew language. It's, it's a very uh, creative and nebulous language. There are a lot less words, but they mean much more. So in other words, if we want to understand peace, we have to look at all of it in the Scriptures and say, what's the picture we get, not what's the definition? So so let me just give you some pictures and maybe expand our view of peace today. The the word for peace is shalom. You've heard it. It's a wonderful greeting. It doesn't just mean hello and goodbye. It means may things be well with you. You might go, well, that's it. It's just that things are well. Well, No, it's more than that. Peace also means wholeness or completeness. It's a sense of those things that are broken, those things that aren't right are made right. 
Could we all agree we'd like that and it's very elusive? I mean, to be well and complete and whole. It's the way God made us to be in relationship with him. And then through sin and the fall, we had that broken. Do you know that there's a thing called peace offerings? It's all through the sacrificial system of Israel. And when you made a peace offering, you did this. You were offering up a sacrifice to pay for a debt you had with someone else or with God. And through paying that, you were now made right together in relationship. Do you understand that that's what peace really is? It's us being made right with God and each other. And, and, and we might understand in our heads, I don't know that we really grasp it in our hearts. And we say it as Christians, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. What it means is Jesus actually came into humanity in the flesh as a king, as a vulnerable little child, walked the earth without sin, and dies a death we should die. In a sense, he was our peace offering. And through his death, we have freedom and new life. That's peace, by the way, between us and God. That's a simple picture of it. It's this idea that all we're at war with, all that can't be right is made right, not by anything you or I do, but by what he does for us. I know that in your minds, many understand it. I think in our hearts, we don't get it. Oh, yeah, God forgave me. Now, oh, man, he's got to be down on me right now. Oh, I'm not doing enough right now. He's just looking at me, picking out and critiquing the things I don't do. It's like, well, no, no, God's your advocate. God's your defender. God is actually your help along the way. Do you know the difference between being motivated by being made right and wanting then to live differently from, oh no, I'm not quite enough and I have to keep going after it? That's a picture of peace. Now there's more in this picture of peace. Another word that's used in the Hebrew scriptures is this idea of peace and a covenant of peace. And what it means is the two people that come together to make a covenant, which, which in their life was much more, we think of contracts, things we're obligated to and then whatever breaks it loses it. A covenant is what binds us together. A covenant of peace meant they're the things you and I are committed to so we live in right relationship with each other. That's part of the peace Jesus came to bring. But it finds its culmination as the prince of peace in the combination of shalom and mishpat. Mishpat is the word for justice and shalom obviously the word for peace. And bringing these together as the prince of peace, it means the kingdom of God comes in a way to make everything right and everything at peace. Because true peace comes when all those things that are wrong and unjust and broken and painful are brought together. Now make no mistake, we think of that as catching the things that are wrong. For God, it's taking those that are most oppressed and struggling and bringing hope and life and help to them. When Jesus walks the earth, he goes to all these different villages and continually brings his kingdom by healing and helping those who are most broken and messed up. And then he quotes another passage in this prophecy of Isaiah. He says it this way. This is ultimately, it's kind of the paraphrase of it. But he says, listen, when the Messiah comes, he's not going to be shouting in the streets. He's not going to be demanding, in a sense, and using his power to say, this is how it will be. You want to know what he'll do? It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Meaning those places that are almost broken, those places that are almost snuffed out, he will go to them and bring life back to them. And then it says he will bring justice to the nations this way. In other words, he will bring his kingdom in those places of brokenness and despair. That's how he brings peace, not by demanding and saying, this is how it will be. So think about that in your own life. Are there places you can't find peace? 
Are there circumstances you wish would get better and they don't? Maybe instead of going, this is how it will be, God wants to meet you in that place of brokenness and go, that's where I'm going to come. That's where I'm going to give peace. That's where I'm going to give hope. That's where I'm going to give life. I mean, that is so contrary to how we live today, isn't it? Maybe in the same way he's inviting you by the way to bring that to others. To stop looking for the ways you'll demand and you'll make, you'll legislate and you'll call out and it will be this way, but saying, let's go to those places of pain and vulnerability and bring the king's peace there. Sounds good, doesn't it? This is how he finishes uh, this wonderful statement. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that day and on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This greatness and this peace, this kingdom will come in the places of most brokenness and greatest despair. Tell me from a strategic standpoint, that does not add up, does it? In your mind, in my mind, we go to the places that will have the most influence and the most strategy and the most power. And the way this grows is for the most pained and the most broken. Man, I find that incredibly meaningful and powerful. Now we move on to the actual birth of Jesus and see how this is played out. See how God actually moves and what he actually brings and how he brings it. Luke's account of Jesus' birth. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Right here, we've already begun it. Shepherds at this time in Israel are not viewed, they're viewed low on any kind of economic and any kind of uh, pedigree. They're basically kind of nobodies in the culture. And in case you don't know this, when Jesus reveals himself, the actual birth is going to be with them, the first two people who hear about the coming of Jesus are both women who in the ancient world had no Basically, they were property and didn't have any voice. Do you understand that he's coming in to reveal himself to the places that we would not hold in high regard? What if God wants to reveal his peace to us through the people we don't hold in high regard and to the people we don't instead of the people we do? What if we've got it wrong? And Jesus is showing it even through how he comes. An angel of the Lord appears to them. The glory of the Lord shines around them, and they are freaked out. That's how that translates, freaked out. They're basically just really scared. Sometimes I wish God would give us a bit of that fear because I don't think it's a fear like, oh no. It's a fear like, oh wow. I can't even imagine. And then the angel responds. He said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Awesome news of unbelievable joy. Unexplainable change that's coming that will be there for everyone. And then it says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. The King is coming, and he's coming through a little vulnerable baby. Peace is coming in a way you and I would never expect. Maybe today God wants to bring you peace in a way you're not expecting. You know, I'm not looking even when we pray for him to do something, the, the heaven's part, and you have something. Maybe it'll be a small way that God just whispers to you. Maybe it'll be through someone you don't expect. But would you be open to him showing up in a way you're not looking for? Instead of the ways we think he should? That's what we have in all of this. And he goes on to keep 
pointing this out. It's a sign. You want to know what the sign is? Let me show you how this comes. You're going to see a baby. They're going to be wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Basically, it's through a vulnerable child in a place of deep poverty with nothing. It's crazy, too, because Bethlehem, where he's born, is basically just a few miles from Herod's, one of his largest, basically, castles. It's this huge place that today we don't even know how he moved the rocks there. So imagine this place of high power and prestige. Jesus comes as a sign as a vulnerable child that would have no power and no strength. That would seem insurmountable, wouldn't it? But that's the sign, and that's how he's coming. And then this heavenly host appears, and the angels praising God. I'd like to be there for that one too, would you? i just like a little angelic opening. Glory to God in the highest and on heaven. And then, peace on earth on whom his favor rests. The proclamation is through a little baby that would have no power, no prestige, incredible vulnerability in the shadow of a king that dominates everything. Peace is coming to the world. Maybe God wants to give you peace in a way you didn't imagine and you're looking for the wrong place and the wrong way. My prayer is going to be that he shows himself to you in a way you don't expect. Let me take you to the end of Jesus' life. This is right before his followers know something bad's going to happen, but they're not really believing it. And this is what he says to them when he's in the room with them before it's all going down. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. I love that this happens right before the mess and the struggle that goes on. And make no mistake, the early church is under a lot of duress, even as it grows. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm giving you a peace that nothing can stop. How would you like to have a peace that your situation doesn't change, but something in you does? How would you like to have a peace that no matter what's going on around you, you still can experience the very peace of Jesus here and now? I, I'm just I'm overwhelmed by your response to it, but I know it's amazing, and I know you want it. I'm telling you, let's be honest. Do we not all look at our circumstances and go, God, change this, so I will be okay? And God says, and then Jesus directly says, listen, I'm giving you a peace that's unexplainable. You're going to have a lot of things that are going to be troubling and difficult, but you can experience a peace, a being right with God and each other in a way that's unexplainable and nothing can shake. Can we agree over the last few years a lot of things have shaken in us? Can we agree that a lot of things we want to agree on that we don't, we want think if that comes together, then we'll be at peace, and it's just not true. It's not true how we view different issues, how we view government, how we view all sorts of things around us will not be what brings us together. It will be the peace of Christ in the midst of our disagreements. That, that's what he's promising to come and what he says he has for us. I told you, I don't, I don't think it's something you wouldn't understand in your minds, but to know that Jesus reconciles us to God and invites us to do the same with others, you understand that we don't just receive peace. Oh, good, I'm so glad I have peace. Hope your life goes well. The whole purpose of the peace is that we give it to others, that we are then distributors and reconcilers with others. I use the word reconcile here because ultimately that's the source of peace, but God calls us to have the same ministry. When Jesus is teaching and he's walking the earth, one of the statements he makes, a very famous one is, very simply, blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called children of God. And we often read these blessings as if to say, if you're a peacemaker, then you're a child of God. And it's not what he means by this. What he's saying is, 
people who are children of God, meaning people who are kids of the king, want to bring the kingdom. And guess what the kingdom is? It's a place and a way of peace. See, peacemakers are children of God because we receive peace and we give peace. I just wonder not only what God's got you to receive, but what he's calling you to give. How you might be a person of peace instead of a person of argument, a person of disagreement, a person of constantly pitching your way as a right way, a person of influence, and you've got to do it this way or else. We now define ourselves by what we disagree about. And some will say, if you're not with me on these things, we can't be in relationship. And that is not the way of Jesus. See, it's a different kind of kingdom. It's not mighty power that demands. It's mighty power that absorbs. It's a wonderful counselor that advises us in a way that don't make sense. It's an everlasting father that cares for who is around him the same way we're to do with others. It's a prince of peace who gives the peace of his kingdom and says, you give it as you've received it. God's inviting us to live differently. I have two simple questions I want to ask you to leave you with. One is, where do you need his peace today? See, I think as followers of Jesus... We can say we live in peace, but let's be honest, we have a lot of things that cause us anxiety. And a lot of things we say, if you don't change this, I can't be at peace. It can be relationships. It can be the way and what we value and how we talk about things. It could be a, a treadmill that you're on saying, I got to get to the next thing and then it'll be enough to so the next thing and then it'll be enough. As long as I'm comfortable and my kids are happy and everything goes the way that should for them and life is pain-free, that's the way of peace. It is not. And it's an illusion. You can't have it anyway, and when you get it, it's never enough. Where do you need peace today? And then for those of you who are among us that aren't followers of Jesus, would you just consider, I, I have this with many of my friends who are not followers of Jesus, where you listen, I just want to tell you, I don't, I don't want to tell you anything else, the gaps I hear and see in you are found in the God who says, the greatest power I bring is by my own suffering to die and be the peace offering on your behalf. That's how you get peace with God. I go, some of you here today, I'd love it for you to just go, I want that peace. And receive it and begin to walk in it. But then for all of us, it's moving out from there. It's the second question, which is simply this. Who can I give peace to? Who is it that I can give peace to right now? Because you are called to be peace distributors the same way you're peace receivers. I wonder this week who God won't have you to walk into and simply be an ambassador of peace not one of just conflict and argument. Someone who says and speaks and encourages as an advocate and a defender and a champion for others. I love being right. I really do. And I really love to argue. Do you know I have not helped anyone that way? Even in my best arguments. I mean, there's times where we have good discussion and maybe thoughts change, but it doesn't transform lives, demanding and arguing. Life is changed by people that are children of the king who bring peace and encouragement and advocating and life to others. I'm not telling you you shouldn't believe the values we believe. We do. But can we believe those things and still be agents of peace, not people of hostility? Because that's what I'm just so saddened by is we're so busy trying to be right and tell people they're wrong. We don't know how to love and bring peace and let Jesus help us show that or even carry the values we do still lovingly. Either I'm, I love people or I'm going to tell them they're wrong. 
Call it grace and truth for a reason, by the way. I want to pray for us. I told you I can't convince you of any of this, but I'm asking the Lord to just breathe on you today. So let me pray for us with this. Lord, I ask for each person here, each person online. I pray specifically for any who are not followers of you. I'm asking you to make Jesus real to them even now. They'd hear your very whisper that you, you are a wonderful counselor. You are a mighty God who reaches out and shows your strength by your own suffering. That you are the everlasting Father who does what you do out of love for us. And you are the Prince of Peace. You can reconcile them to you. And I ask that they would receive that. They would even ask for it. Jesus, forgive me and give me your peace. I pray for those of us who follow you that we would learn to ask for and receive your peace in places we have not, where we believe lies that we have to perform and do better. And Lord, then I pray you would equip us and ignite us to be ones who give away the peace you give us. Show us those around that need peace, even as we receive it, that we give it. I pray this in this season in your name. Amen.